Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. While you're turning over there, I have to tell you about somebody that, actually a church member, that I've had some difficulty with. And as a matter of fact, I've, I've had difficulty with this church member for a number of years. And um, really, he's given me a lot of trouble. He's disappointed me many, many times. And I, I just, I have to expend a lot of energy with this particular church member who, who really, frankly, we're, we're a wonderful congregation. Um, but this member has given me much, much sorrow and, and heartache at times. Maybe I ought to tell you his name. I think I will. Steve Boots. I've had a lot of trouble with him over these years. You know, my biggest enemy is my own self. Have you found that to be true in your life? We have an enemy inside the fort called self, and sometimes the Bible calls that the old man. We see that in 1 Corinthians. Sometimes the Bible calls that the flesh, but we're all in a battle. We have three enemies the Bible talks about, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, we're going to be talking about that center enemy this morning, the flesh. And then I, I, when I'm talking about the flesh, I'm not talking about your material body. I'm not talking about your skin and bones. Your, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. It is crafted by God, and it's, it's to be completely dedicated to God. But when I'm talking about the flesh, I'm talking about the, the lower part of our nature, the, the part of us that, that tempts us and then causes us to give into that temptation and to sin against God, though we know that we shouldn't, Right? The old man is who we are when we're born. That's what we're born with, the flesh. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that, that old man does not disappear. We become new people in Jesus Christ. We are a new creature in Jesus Christ once you accept him as your Savior. But that old man does not go away. The flesh is there. We have to constantly fight against that flesh. We have to constantly fight against that old nature. It's, it's a disposition against the things of God. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. A lot of times we say we want to please God. We want to live for God. We want to, we want to do things that he approves of. We want to follow his word. But when that flesh is there fighting against, there's a lot of things that we wish we could do that we cannot or that we don't do because of that flesh. Now, what does that have to do with the 17th chapter of Exodus? Well, let me share, you, share with you something about understanding the Bible. The Old Testament is history, but it's more than just history. It's, it's devotional literature, if you will. And I'm, and I'm talking about the history of the Old Testament. And, I'm, and, of course, I'm talking particularly about the coming of the Jewish nation out of the land of Egypt through the wilderness into Canaan. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and again, you don't have to turn over there, but it says, Now all these things happen unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come, which is why we call it devotional literature, right? Everything that happened in the Old Testament happened for us to follow as an example so we can see this is how you are led by God. This is how you overcome different things. This is how you, uh, how you give into God instead of giving into your flesh. But let me talk to you for a second about a life of conquest. Now, the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt, Right? Egypt, in the Bible, is always a picture of the world. The Jewish people were in Egypt. They were slaves. They were called out of Egypt. And that's exactly, God has called us out of the world. We belong to God. The children of Israel were the people of God, right? 
They were called out of Egypt, out of the world. And once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's what we're called out of as well. We're called out of the world. We're not to be, even though we have to be in the world, we're not so supposed to be of the world. Now, Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. Pharaoh represents the devil. And I'm not just, oh, this is a great little story. This is, this is a representation. Everything that we look at in the Old Testament represents something in the New Testament. Pharaoh represents the devil. Then they were headed toward Canaan. It was the land of, of oil and corn and wine and milk and honey, right? The Bible talks about clusters of grapes that were so big that two men had to carry them between them. That, many times, and especially even in a lot of our songs in the songbook and the way that a lot of people talk about it is, oh, Canaan land, I'm crossing over into Canaan land, I'm going to heaven, crossing the Jordan River, and I'm going to heaven. Now, I, I can be honest with you. There's no battles in heaven. There was a whole lot of battles in Canaan land, right? There's no sickness and death. There was a whole lot of that in Canaan, right? They had to do a lot of battling before they finally were able to take that land. We don't have to battle for heaven. You know what Canaan represents? Canaan represents a victorious Christian life. There are going to be battles. There are going to be defeats from time to time. Remember what happened at Ai. They went in without God's power. They went in without prayer. They went, out, went in without preparation. And 36 people died that didn't need to die at Ai, right? And they came back and they regrouped. And Joshua said, man, I should have gone to God about this. And he went to God and God said, all right, now go up. And I'm going to give you the victory. And it, was, it should have been an easy victory the first time. But they went in their own flesh, right? There are battles. We're going to win some. We're going to lose some. Hopefully more win than lose. But Canaan represents a victorious Christian life. Canaan, in the Bible, represents victory. It represents that spirit-filled life. So as Christians, we've come out of Egypt. We're coming through the wilderness, but we're headed toward Canaan, and we ought to already be there. We already ought to be living the victorious Christian life. That's the whole purpose of living life as a Christian, right? To live that victorious Christian life. So Canaan represents a spirit-filled life. Egypt, the world, Pharaoh, the devil, Canaan, that victorious life. But we're going to meet somebody now. In just a minute here in Exodus chapter 17, who represents the flesh, that member that I've having, been having such difficulty with, and I know that if you're saved, you've been having that same difficulty. Now, with that in mind, begin in verse 8 of chapter 17, it says, then came Amalek. Amalek represents the flesh, and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. Now I want to talk to you this morning about four principles of victory. And I want to talk about some Canaan conquest. Now you might say, well, I've come out of Egypt, but I surely haven't gone into Canaan. I've been stuck in the desert. Well, let me tell you how you can change your life from the monotonous to the momentous, from failure to victory. Now, it's not a one, two, three step process. This is not something that's necessarily going to happen overnight. But if you've come out of Egypt, then you should be moving toward Canaan. You should be living in Canaan. You should be living that victorious Christian life. There are four things that will help us to obtain that victory in our life, and that's what I want to give you this morning. Four principles of victory. Let's pray, and we'll look at those principles this morning. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in the service this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house to open up your word. And God, I pray that, you'd allow it to, that we'd allow it to speak to our hearts this morning, that you give us something that we can use to help us live that victorious Christian life. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. You have to receive a gracious provision. That gracious provision is salvation. You have to come out of Egypt if you're going to live in Canaan. 
Now look what he says in Exodus chapter 17 and verse number 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? They were in a barren, desolate place. Many people have been in that place. I was in that place. It's barren. It's desolate. It's dry. Exodus chapter 17 and verse number 4. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Do you ever try to get water from a rock? It's never worked all that well, has it? But that's a great illustration of what happened to us at Salvation. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 that we just read a few minutes ago? All these things happen for in samples, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 4 says, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The rock was smitten in order for that water to come out. And Jesus Christ had to be smitten. He had to die for us in order for that salvation, that living water, to flow freely. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Jesus Christ had to be afflicted in order for us to obtain that living water. Because Jesus was smitten and his side was pierced and the water and blood came out, and when he hung in agony and blood on that cross so long ago, he paid for our sin. But Jesus Christ had to be smitten in order for that to happen. I heard a pastor tell a story about an evangelist friend of his who was on an airplane one time. Brother Mark was the guy's name. And the stewardess came to, to Mark and he said, and she said, sir, would you like a drink? And he said, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm fine. I, I had a drink about 20 years ago and that satisfied me completely. And she kind of got a little bit of a chuckle out of that. And she said, you did. Must have been some kind of drink. And he said, it was. She said, well, tell me about it. And he said, you serve everybody else and you come and I'll tell you about it. And that lady finished serving all the rest of the people her drink, and she went down and sat next to that evangelist, and she said, now, tell me about this drink that you had that's lasted for 20 years. And he started telling her about the living water that he had when he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And that stewardess accepted that living water. She accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior that day on the airplane. He had told her about the living water. Remember when Jesus went to the well, the woman at the well? She came there to, to fill the water to bring back to, for her camels, and Jesus started telling her about everything that she'd ever done, and she was amazed. How can this guy know everything about me? And she, she said, sir, can I draw some water for you to give you something to drink? And he said, no, 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 let me give you water. But the water that I'm going to give you will make it so that you'll never thirst again. I'm going to give you that living water. And he shared with her the message of the gospel, how that she could accept Jesus Christ as her Savior. I wonder, are you thirsty today? You say, well, God knows I'm empty. I didn't ask you that. My car's been empty many times, but it's never been thirsty. There's a lot of people in this world that know that something's missing. They're empty, but they don't know what it is. They've never thirsted for that rock. But the smitten, thank God for the smitten rock. I, I heard a song 
uh, a while ago, and it says, I was going to the well again the other day, not knowing that my life was going to change. There I met a man who told of living water. He said I could drink and never thirst again. He was waiting for me at the well. He knew who I was and what I would need. Lord, give me a drink of that water. Oh, the living water, let it flow to me through everlasting life. Lord, I need a taste of that fountain flowing from heaven. I'll leave my past behind and I can start over again. And I know that I will thirst no more. The second verse says he knew where I'd been and he told me all I'd done. And yet he still loved me anyway. And he'll do the same for you if only you'll ask him to. Just trust in him and you'll forever be changed. He's still waiting for you at the well. He knows who you are and what you need. And the chorus says, Lord, give me a drink of that water. Oh, the living water. Let it flow to me through everlasting life. I want to ask you a question, my friend. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, are you thirsty? Are you missing something? There's something that's missing in your life. It's not something that you're missing. It's someone. It's someone. What you're thirsting for is Jesus. I can tell you that. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never feel contentment until you know the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 7 and verse number 37, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So the first thing, if you want to live a life of victory, number one, you have to receive a gracious provision through Jesus Christ, which is salvation. But number two, realize a grand purpose. Exodus chapter 13, a couple pages back from where you are. Exodus chapter 13 Being saved is wonderful, but God has more, much more for you. You can't live a victorious Christian life if you're not a Christian. That's the first step. You have to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not Jesus Christ plus baptism. It's not Jesus Christ plus my good works. It's not Jesus Christ plus anything else. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing, or it's not salvation. But once you have that salvation, then the next step is to have that is to start moving toward having that victorious Christian life, and that's to realize a grand purpose. Exodus chapter 13 and verse number 3. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came ye out in the, mouth of, uh, in, in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee, a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee. Neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. You see, God's plan for his people was not just to come out of Egypt and then wander around in the wilderness of Sinai. God's plan for his people was that they go all the way into the land of Canaan. I'm not talking about pie in the sky or some hopeful thing. I'm talking about victory right now. I'm not saying that one day we're going to get to heaven and that's where it's going to be worth it all. It will be. But Jesus Christ didn't bring us out of Egypt just to leave us in the wilderness, wandering around in that barren, desolate place. He brought us out of Egypt so that we could go into the land of Canaan. God brought them out that he could bring them in. And I want to ask you a question. Why is the devil, why is the devil getting the kids of the best families in our churches today? Why are so many kids growing up in, in seemingly good churches and then leaving Christianity? Now, part of it is they've never accepted Jesus Christ in, their, in, in the first place. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't leave Christianity. Christianity is not a religion that you come into and out of. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And once you really know Jesus Christ, you don't ever get out of that. But there are many people, who, some who are even saved, who leave church, who never come back to church again once they, once they get 18, 19, 20 years old. They never darken the doors again. Why is that? Why is that? Why, why are we losing so many young people? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about churches that have people who are faithful, people who sing in the choir, people who take up the offering, people who are involved in all the different ministries, love God, and, 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 and from the outside look so good to everybody in the church and say, that's a great family, that's a great Christian. How does that happen? I think it's a complicated thing. We can't put everybody into one category, but I'll tell you one reason that there is a lot of that happens is this. There are people who have come out of Egypt who have never gone into the land of Canaan. And all their kids have ever seen is wandering in the wilderness. What makes a kid want to stay wandering in the wilderness? There is nothing victorious about the life that they're living. There's nothing exciting about the Christian life if all you're doing is wandering in a barren, desolate place. Now, you know what they had in the wilderness to eat? Manna, right? You know how long they ate manna? 40 years. They ate manna for 40 years. Now, manna, was, it wasn't meant to satisfy them. It was only meant to sustain them until they got out of Egypt, made it through the wilderness, and got into the land of Canaan. Now, obviously, you know the story. They ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Manna was not supposed to be their daily food for 40 years, but it was. It was only meant to be a temporary feast. It was a temporary food because they were only supposed to spend a little time there in the wilderness on their way to Canaan. But because of their unbelief, they are just going around and around and around and around and eating manna every single day for every single meal. Now, in that time, 40 years, there were children born in that time. And let's imagine that there was a kid who was, who was boy, 14 years of age. He was born in the wilderness. His parents came out of Egypt, but he's a wilderness boy. He's never said, what's for breakfast? Because he knows what's for breakfast. Manna. He's never said, what's for lunch? Because he knows what's for lunch. Manna. Right? He's never said, what's for dinner? Because he knows what's for dinner. They're having manna. He's never said, what are we going to have tomorrow? Because he already knew the answer to that question. It was going to be manna. Manna, morning, noon, night, every single day of the week. He knew what it was going to be. He's been raised in the wilderness, and that's all they had to eat. Now, suppose they decided that they're going to celebrate there in the wilderness. Now, you remember, God says in this passage, you celebrate. You celebrate in the land, not in the wilderness. You don't have a lot to celebrate in the wilderness. Now, suppose there they are. The father's sitting on a, on a hot rock. The son's sitting on a cactus over there somewhere in the wilderness. The father says, we're going to have a feast of the Passover. And he says, well, Dad, what's that? What are we, what are we doing? And he says, we're celebrating, son. Now, remember, this kid heard sermons about Canaan. That's all, that's all he's heard, just sermons about Canaan. He's never seen Canaan. He might, have, he, he might have heard his pastor preach about Canaan, but he's not seen Canaan. His parents are not living in Canaan. His parents are not living that victorious, spirit-filled Christian life. They're still in the wilderness, and they're just wandering in circles in that barrenness, eating the same thing over and over and over and over. And the dad says, we're going to celebrate, son. And he says, what are we, we going to celebrate? He looks around, and he says, Celebrate what? And this, oh, a rattlesnake might, m maybe goes by, and he said, what are we doing, Dad? 
sun's baking them in, in, in the sun, and the, and the tumbleweed rolls by, and they said, what is there out here to celebrate in the wilderness? He says, don't, son, don't, we're celebrating what God's done for us. He said, Dad, don't, don't you think it's about time we got back to Egypt? I mean, there was fish there. There was leeks and garlics there. There was safety there. We had a place to live. We had a place where we could stay. And I know we had a lot of, uh, a, a lot of abuse and everything else, but at least there was some kind of safety. At least we had food to eat. At least we had water to drink. All we're doing out here is being dumped in the desert. I think that's why the devil is getting a lot of kids, a lot of good kids in good churches that, that are growing up in seemingly good families. They've come out, but they've never gone in. And so all the kids ever see is this barrenness in the wilderness, and they look back to the world, and they say, look at everything they have in the world. At least there's some security there. At least I have what I want there. At least there's some enjoyment there in the world. And so Christianity is presented as nothing enjoyable in their life. It's just the day-in, day-out living of Christianity, no excitement, no joy. They've never learned how to live in victory before their children, and their children know that their parents somehow are sincere, but they feel like they've just missed it. They've, they've simply missed it. God brought us out that he might bring us in. He brought us out of Egypt to bring us into the land of Canaan. If you've been one of those simply dumped in the desert, you have to understand not only did you receive a gracious provision, salvation, but you have to realize a grand purpose, which is the victory that God has for you. God didn't just bring you out of the world to leave you in the desert. He brought you out so you could go into Canaan, which brings us to the third thing. Number three, we have to respect a grievous problem, which we find back in Exodus chapter 17, and we already looked at it in verse number eight. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Realize, respect a grievous problem, and that is the flesh. Who is Amalek? Amalek was a king, but he was the grandson of Esau. And who was Esau? Well, you remember, Esau was the one who sold his birthright for a mess of pottage. Esau was a profane man, the Bible says. Now, he, he sold his spiritual things for a bowl of stew. And then he was, he was more interested in the present than he was in the future. He was more interested in the material than the eternal. He's more interested in the things of the flesh than the things of the spirit. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16 says, Or a profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And the Bible teaches in Malachi that God has a perpetual warfare declared on Esau. We're not going to take the time to look at that passage. But it says in, in, in verse number 1, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. That's what God, what, what's God talking about? God, God here is not talking about the little baby Esau when he says, I hated Esau. He's talking about the whole culture, the, the Edomites. He's talking about that whole nation. He's not just talking about the people of the flesh, the people in physical bodies. He's talking about the principle, and that principle is the flesh. Now, it gets a little complicated here, so pay attention. Amalek is the grandson of Esau. He's part of that category of the person that God says, I have a perpetual war with. What does Amalek represent? Amalek represents everything that we have in us, everything that we all have in us, and that is the flesh. There's an Amalek in you. He's the grandson of Esau, and you have to deal with the problem of the flesh Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Keep your finger there in Exodus because we're coming back. But turn over to Romans chapter 8. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. We read already, for the flesh 
lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one, one, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But he says this in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, say it, cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are living in the flesh, you cannot make God happy. If you're living in the flesh, you cannot please God. There's a principle that will that, come against you, the flesh. You say, well, I'm over here in Egypt. I'm going to give my heart to Jesus Christ today. I'm going to get saved. As soon as you drink of that water, then the Bible says, then came Amalek. Oh, you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and all the world's going to be a playground. All the world's just going to be this beautiful little rainbow with pots of gold on the end of every one of them, right? And it's going to be meat and milk and just enjoyable, right? No, the Bible says, you come out of Egypt, then comes Amalek. And of course, the, the, the best thing that the devil would try to do to a young Christian is to derail them, to get them off track, to get them involved in sins of their past, or get them involved in doing things that are displeasing to God, because man, Amalek is coming against you. The flesh is going to come and fight immediately when you come out of Egypt. The flesh comes to say, you're going no farther. You're not going to get into Canaan. You're going to stay here in the wilderness, and you're going to enjoy it. That's what the flesh does. The flesh is going to attack us in our weakest points to keep us from entering into Canaan. But I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter 17 and look at the last point. See, to live in victory, you have to receive a gracious provision. You have to realize a grand purpose. You have to respect that grievous problem. But I want you to understand this. In Exodus chapter 17, remember a glorious principle, and that is this. The victory is God-given. The victory is God-given. How are we going to have victory over the flesh? Exodus chapter 17 and verse number 9. Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. What's that glorious principle? Here's the glorious principle. The victory is God-given. The victory is God-given. How am I going to overcome the old Steve, that church member that I have such a hard time with? How am I going to overcome him? By rededicating my life? By struggling? No. You should be fighting against sin, but that's not how we overcome it. There's a perpetual warfare. That flesh is in me. That flesh is in you. And when you get saved, that flesh is not eradicated. It's still there. You're still going to fight those battles, but thank God you can have that victory, and that victory is God-given. God said, Moses, you take that rod. Now, remember, it was the rod of God. It represented the power of God. That was the rod that Moses lifted up and split the Red Sea wide open. That was what made it so that the Israelites could walk across on dry ground. It was a miracle, right? That was the rod that he held in his hand during all 10 of those plagues that he did before Pharaoh. It was the rod that he smote the rock with that water came out. This was the rod of God. This represented the power of God. 
That rod that led them out of barrenness now is the rod that's going to lead them into battle. God says, take up that rod. Go up to the top of the mountain. Hold that rod up. And when you hold that rod up, Amalek is going to be defeated. The victory, the victory over Amalek, over your flesh, is a God-given victory. Go turn to Galatians chapter 5. If I've learned one thing in my Christian life, I'm so thankful that I was saved at a young age. I was saved as a five-year-old boy. And that's the beauty of the gospel. You don't have to be a, a theological doctor. You don't have to be a theologian or some uh, Bible scholar to understand the gospel. The Bible says that it's simple enough that a child can understand. And as a child, I understood that I was a sinner, that I needed Jesus Christ to save me. And I asked for forgiveness from those sins, and Jesus Christ came into my heart and saved me. I've been saved 33 years. If I've learned anything in my Christian life over those 33 years, it's this. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. And I'm not just, it's not just playing with words. He doesn't say if you'll walk in the spirit, then, then you can walk in the, if, if you'll not walk in the flesh, then you can walk in the spirit. He doesn't say that. He says this in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He doesn't say, if you'll not walk in the flesh, you can walk in the Spirit. We don't have to overcome the flesh in order to walk in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit so that we can overcome the flesh. That's the power of God. I'm telling you that the victory of your flesh is a God-given victory. That's the only way that you're going to come out of Egypt through the wilderness and into Canaan because there's an Amalek that's waiting in front of you. There's an Amalek that's going to try to keep you out of Canaan. There's an Amalek that's going to keep you from trying to have the victory that you can have in your Christian life. And you say, well, I got saved a long time ago, but I'm just kind of stalled out in my Christian life. I'm wandering around in that wilderness right now. I'm just going in circles. I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. It's the same old thing every single day. I want to read my Bible, and I want to pray, and I want to tell people about Jesus Christ, and I want to have that, that victory that I know that I can have in Jesus Christ, but I feel like I'm just wandering around in the wilderness. And one of the main reasons why is because Amalek is fighting against you. It's that flesh. Of course the devil doesn't want you to get into Canaan and have that victorious Christian life. Of course the flesh is going to be fighting against that. But God wants us to come out of Egypt, go through the wilderness, and get into Canaan. And he's given us the tools. He's given us the power to give us the victory, to be able to get us into Canaan land. When it, when it comes to this church, we can't say, look what we did. We'd, we'd be fools, any of us, all of us. That's God. It's God who gives us the victories individually. It's God who gives us the victories as a church. It's God whose hand is on Mount Victory Baptist Church. And, and we need to hold high the rod of God. It's his hand that's going to give us that victory. You know what Aaron was? He was a priest. And in the Old Testament, a priest represents prayer. Her, who held up the hands of Moses, his name means whiteness or purity. You think about that. Purity and prayer. That's it. Holding up the hands of a people of God. The victory is God-given. And you notice that when they had the rod of God in their hand, when it was the power of God that they were putting in front of the people, they had the victory. When that rod started to fall because Moses' hands got heavy, they started to lose. And then purity comes along and lifts up the hand on the left side. And prayer comes along and lifts up the hand on the right side. And there it is, the power of God. And as long as that rod was held up in the air, Israel prevailed. When they started to drop that power of God, then Amalek 
the flesh started to prevail. But they had the power of God. And they held it high enough, long enough, that God says in Exodus chapter 17, Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. They didn't do it in their own power. Oh, no. Joshua had to go out there and fight. He didn't just lift up the rod and everybody fell over and died in front of him. They had to go out there and fight. But it wasn't Joshua. And that made it clear because when that rod started to come down, what happened? Joshua started to lose. That rod, that power of God went back up and they started to win. Joshua had to get out there and fight. But it wasn't Joshua that was doing it. It was God that gave him the victory. And what a tremendous, tremendous principle that we find in the word of God. The victory is God-given. But you know what? He wants to give you that victory. And he can give you that victory. And he will give you that victory as long as you are relying on the power of God. As long as you are relying on the power of prayer. As long as you are relying on the power of purity. We have to be holy if we're going to have the victory in our Christian life. We have to live for God if we're going to have victory in the Christian life. You can go out and live like the devil and expect God to treat you like his child. Now, we are his children if we're saved. But you can't live like the devil and expect God to say, oh, that's okay. That's okay. You can act like the enemy, but you're my child, so I'm going to help you. No, you have to live like Christ. You have to rely on his power. Well, the Bible is so filled with so many commands, I just don't know if I can do it. Listen, if God gives you a command, he also gives you the power and the ability to follow through with that command. If he says, be ye holy as I am holy, ah, oh, but there's so many temptations in the world, I just can't do it. If he says it, then he'll also give you the power and the ability to do it. Go be a witness. Oh, I just can't. It's just so much, to, so much pressure, so many people that don't like the things of God today. Hey, if he's given you that command, he can give you the power and the ability to do it. If he says to live in victory as a Christian, if he says to have victory over the flesh, which he does tell us to do, then he can give you the power and the ability to do it. The problem is, we're trying so hard in our own strength. Man, I fell to that thing again. Ah, oh, I gave in to that temptation. You know what? I'm determined. I'm not going to do that again. And your determination lasts a week or two weeks or a month, and you know what? You gave in to that temptation again, and there you are right back in the same position. Man, I, I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need to do this, and I'm determined that I'm going to do it. And you do it for a month, and then all of a sudden it starts to get more sporadic, and the next thing you know, you're two months into it, and you haven't read your Bible in three weeks. Why is that? Because you're trying to do it in your own strength. They didn't defeat Amalek because they were powerful. I got the victory inside me. I can go do this on my own. Nothing can stop me. As long as I speak positive to myself, then I'm going to go win the victory. No, it's not you. It's not you at all. And the more you realize that and the more you let go of your own power and rely on the power of Jesus Christ, the sooner that victory is going to come and the greater that victory will be because we have to rely on the power of God. There's so much power of positive thinking. And I'm, not, I'm saying, you know, I, I'm, there's something to it. You know, if you're always negative, then, you know, where you're, where you're looking is where you're going to go. You know, you get your head down, that's where you're going. Get your head up and, you, you know, it helps. It helps. But that, it's not all about the power of positive thinking. It's all about the power of God and having the power of God in your life. You receive that provision, that salvation. You remember God's purpose. That's Canaan. 
He wants you to live that victorious Christian life. But then you believe a principle, and that is that if we walk in the Spirit, you can defeat that problem that we're going to face, and that's the flesh. Ah, we walk in the Spirit, we're not going to fulfill the lust, of the lust of the flesh. We can't have that victory through the power of God in our lives. God wants every single Christian today to have victory in their Christian life. You know what happened when they got into Canaan? They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw God provide. They saw God give them that promised land, right? Remember what they faced first? Across the Jordan River miraculously. The priests stepped into that water and the waters parted and they walked across on dry ground. That was the first miracle. Then they got in there and sure enough, big old Jericho. And they marched around that city six days. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times and the walls fell down. Right? And one after another, the enemy fell down before them because they were relying on the power of God. And they got the land that God promised to them. They lived in Canaan because they got there through the power of God. Now you have to defeat the flesh. You've got to fight a lot of battles. You've got to go through a lot of things to get there. But you come out of Egypt. You accept that glorious provision. Jesus Christ gave us the opportunity to have salvation. We're going to pass through the wilderness. But that's exactly what it should be. Just passing through. Just passing through. God wants us to live in Canaan. He wants us to have that victorious Christian life. But it only comes when we're relying on the power of God. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the, these principles that we can find in the word of God. God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Pray that you'd help us to realize that you want us to have the victory in our Christian life. And we can if we rely on your power. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes are closed. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm tired of Egypt. I'm sick and tired of Pharaoh telling me how high to jump, tired of being beat up by the devil. I want liberty. I want victory. If you're thirsty and you need a drink from the rock, his name is Jesus Christ. I want to offer you a drink from the rock today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, won't you accept him? got a good friend that's watching the live stream right now over at JJ's house. He got victory yesterday. Came out of Egypt. He got a drink of that living water. You can have it too. Plenty to go around. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't wait. Don't wait. You are doing exactly what I told Harry he was doing yesterday. Tiptoeing on the edge of hell, just waiting to trip and fall in. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm trying to help you realize that time is short, and you don't know how long you have. You want to have that victorious Christian life, you've got to come out of Egypt. But I also want you to know that you can have victory in your Christian life today. Won't you... Take that step of faith. Trust God's power. Move forward for him. That's our theme this year, isn't it? Forward by faith. Picture on the front of the bulletin is the Red Sea parting. That's what God wants to do for every single one of us. You come out of Egypt and you just see God do miracle after miracle through his power.
and he wants you to live that victorious Christian life. Perhaps while I was preaching this morning, the Holy Spirit touched your heart and said, hey, this is an area you need to fix. This is something that you can do to rely on me more. You need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. You need to witness more. You need to get rid of that thing out of your life. You need to change this. You need to do that differently. I don't know. I don't know what the Holy Spirit did. I'm, I'm just the messenger. And I don't feel like a very good one at that. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work in your heart. And he wants you to have his power. He wants you to have that victory. Won't you come get it right with him this morning? As the piano plays, the invitation is open. You can come. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, won't you step out and come forward? We'll get somebody to take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're saved. As the piano plays, the invitation is open. You can come. <laughs>